relationship, love, motherhood. Um, there was one really standout film that discussed pro wrestling in the prairies. That was that was an amazing one. Nice. Um, yeah, and there there was uh, one that discussed uh, gender binaries and gender identity. Yeah, it was a really lovely night. I think everyone enjoyed it. I brought two friends with me, and they couldn't shut up about it. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. The kind of the kind of films that you see and you can kind of digest for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what's what was lovely about them is it was one night, so the they all varied in length, but they were in, there was enough to keep you fully engaged for the entire night. Well, I, I was going to ask about that, because when I hear film festival, I think about, you know, these festivals that last days or weeks mm-hmm. or, or something, and all packed into one night yeah. seems like a lot, but was it, were you there for too long? Or? No, no, no. It was, think of it as like going to a movie and watching one movie. That's how long I was there for. Oh, yeah. um, and it was great because when I saw the program, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to watch all of this in this short amount of time. But no, a lot of the films, um, they were very well done, very tastefully done. Um, even when they were short, they they were enough to have me actually moved and engage fully with the content that they were creating and presenting. Well, right on. Tell us about what you saw. Well, as I said, The Match and Masculines uh, were two standout films for me personally. The Match kind of discusses uh, the pro-wrestling alliance um, in the prairies, and it, it follows these two guys with very monotonous lives. Um, they have <laughs> they work in like a factory, in a burger joint, they mm-hmm. don't really do much on a day-to-day basis, and they have their family lives. But um, what a lot of people don't know about them, or what they do because they're pretty famous where they are, uh, they participate in pro wrestling, uh, and it's it's their escape, and it's actually quite funny because you follow their day to day lives, how it affects their family, um, the pseudo sport of like rivalry and beating each other up, but behind the scenes, these guys are like big friends, like such a brotherhood within the the, the the sidelines and backstage, and it's it was really moving and very funny. It was very tastefully done. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone else enjoyed it as well, because afterwards, there was a huge pause. Now, growing up uh, with I was the youngest of three brothers and mm-hmm. one that we would watch wrestling <laughs> and the debate forever is, is wrestling real? Is pro wrestling rigged? Okay, well... I think it's real. Sorry to interrupt. I think it's real in the sense that we think, you know, acting is real kind of way. It's all mm-hmm. part of a performance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that they're, like, putting all their effort into, like, oh, I got hit, and then, like, they do the chair and whatever, there is an element of realness to the, I guess, the spectacle. Mm-hmm. So I think it's real. I don't think they... When they do get injuries, also, that's real, too, so... Yeah, I think she, yeah, Ashley makes a point, um, because even in the film, they had to discuss what the outcome of this final match would be, and Mm -hmm. they had to make it really believable, even though they know what it's going to be, they had to make sure that everyone else believed it. So in in that sense, yeah, you have to make it real enough for the audience to believe it. But yeah, a lot of people call it a pseudo sport because they feel like everything's rigged and everything's set up to give the audience the greatest amount of pleasure. But but the truth in wrestling lies <laughs> far beneath, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, another standout film for me was Masculines. Um, it follows three persons um, who all don't really prescribe solely to the gender binaries that society usually mm-hmm. dictates for us. And what I loved about it is that it showed three different people from three different walks of life and they all had separate identities and separate and different ways of actually portraying themselves. And I, the last part of the film, I remember the, the director asking um, these three people, 
you know, what is the difference between being male, man, and masculine? Mm. And they, she said, you know, I really can't uh, give you a definitive answer for that. It's, it's, it's the lines are blurred for some people. Mm-hmm. They, they're not always these kind of cut and paste kind of definitions that society wants to place on us. And I thought that was really moving. And I remember a lot of people looking around in the audience. A lot of people were shake, like nodding their heads, being like, "Yeah, that's true. I get that." Really cool. And mm-hmm. in, in a conversation that you know, ten years ago wouldn't have been as as public as it is now. No, definitely not. So mm-hmm. I think that it, it definitely gave some some eye openers to like, I think a lot of people in the audience saying, yeah, that's that's actually very, very true. Right on. <laughs> and so Cinema Spectacular, where was the event? It was at the Van City Theatre downtown. Nice. Yeah, so it was last week, Thursday, and they had a Q&A with um, some of the BC filmmakers. So the filmmakers were all from all across Canada. So there were some from Quebec, Mont- um there were others from Manitoba, from mm-hmm. all the provinces, really. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't, like, all of them couldn't make it, but the BC ones were there, and they, it That's was a good. really amazing Q&A. I also got to interview the festival coordinator and the festival director, um, Alexandra and Laurel. They were great. Um, they put on a, an amazing event. And I, you know, one of my key questions is to ask them, like, what, were, what, was, the, what was the challenge of you know, getting people here and engaging low-budget filmmakers. And she said that, you know, the problem isn't engaging these people because a lot of people want to make these independent films. It's actually convincing people to come and give them a chance and come and to sit in the theater and actually watch and view these films. I think mm-hmm. Alexandra said that, you know, we're so media-saturated with these big-budget films that, yeah. that that's all we want to see. But it's convincing people that these pe- these filmmakers deserve a chance like they deserve recognition Mm -hmm. and they deserve to you know be seen and be heard interesting and how full was the event i would say it was a half packed okay yeah that's good and this is only their second year so i can essentially see them getting bigger and bigger and bigger each year Mm -hmm. I, i definitely asked um laurel you know where do you see this event in five ten 12, 15 years, and she said, I want it to be bigger and better each year with more films, with diverse films, with more people coming out and giving these filmmakers a chance that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was beautiful. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, some homegrown homegrown films. Mm-hmm. And she was also featured in the in the lineup as well. I loved her film. Oh, what did, what uh, what film did she make? She made a fam like a kind of home movie kind of family film. Um, it was very touching. It it's kind of one. It kind of brought me back to when I was like a child, and you you go on these family vacations or take these family moments at Thanksgiving or at these birthdays mm-hmm. and take these little movies and videos, and I loved it. It was very sweet. Great. Well, I appreciate you telling us uh, telling us about the festival. <laughs> You're welcome. And hopefully next year you can cover it again and it will be a bigger event, packed house. They'll um, have like three nights. Week <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I had one question. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Cinema Spectacular, you said they had other things too, not just like you know, films, they also had animation mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how, how are the other things as well? Um, did you enjoy them? I one of the things I wanted to ask is because you mentioned that they're low, kind of low budget sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think that they aren't of quality. Mm-hmm. But how would you kind of reassure people who are kind of thinking of going into more independent sort of films? Like, like what sh- what kind of prejudice should they kind of just throw before kind of going in and delving into it further? Yeah, I definitely think well, when people hear a low to no budget, they think, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible quality mm-hmm. but 
Alexandra and Laurel are pros at what they do in, tr- in terms of choosing really great films. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to the films that I saw, the animation ones were spectacular. Mm-hmm. Not to be punny, but yes, they were. <laughs> um, yeah, there was one film, um, Lumberjacked, and its song was unbelievably catchy and I remember everyone smiling at this cartoon <laughs> because everyone loves cartoons they love yeah. animation so and it was very well done I, I don't know how the person was able to the filmmaker was able to do such like a great film but mm-hmm. I'm glad they 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 included it in, in it yeah no it was definitely high quality films all around let's get to here it seems like I mean you don't have to you don't have to worry about that necessarily because there's as you say everyone watches these big blockbusters that the mm. form so much money goes into the form of mm-hmm. these movies but not the content here at the grassroots yeah. level you can watch a spectacular it, film festival it has more of like what you mentioned like some of them are just designed to be blockbusters like you mentioned they have you know attention to form but not really to the content mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. if i guess if it's more of a personal project you're not worried about you know, will the audience buy this? And will they buy, you know, tickets, blah, blah, blah. But it's more like, how can I create my vision into something that other people can kind of, like you mentioned, digest and kind of empathize or understand the message of what I'm coming from. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And so what uh, what's changed for you? So going mm-hmm. to the event, how, what what kind of lens or what, how do you look at small budget films now I kind of just want to see more of them yeah I I want more filmmakers to be promoted and seen and get this like attention and this recognition that they deserve because they do deserve it there are a lot of small um, independent films out there that are rotating amongst festivals and they can easily measure up to any of the big blockbuster films that we have in the theaters today um, they just need to be given a chance. So I would love to see this event become bigger and better each year and featuring more and more films because I think Vancouver and the rest of Canada would love to see these small grassroots, you know, mm-hmm. films out there. And I guess we can see them at Van City. The rest of their programming kind of falls along with the same uh, same mindset. Mm. Great. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you telling us about Cinema Spectacular. Uh, For listeners out there, we're about to play an interview right now with Early, um, well, with Matthew White, who's the artistic director for Early Music Vancouver. And on May 1st, this weekend, Early Music Vancouver is performing uh, Vivaldi's The Four Seasons on historic um, instruments, (laughs) on accurate... um, Kind of baroque instruments, which which is. Are you talking of, about like vintage, like the really old school stuff? Yeah, baroque style instruments and wow. modern ones. Mm-hmm. And so what we're uh, what we have the pleasure of offering is a pair of tickets for um, four seasons at the Chan Center on May first. So if you are interested in a pair of tickets to Early Music Vancouver's presentation of the Four Seasons, give us a call at 604-822-CITR. That's 604-822-2487. Yeah, CITR, 2487. Uh, And get yourself a pair of tickets for Vivaldi on the weekend. It's at the Chan Center, too. It's, like, really nice seating. That's right. Yeah. It's at the Chan Center. So here's a little little taste of the music and, uh, and the interview to follow.
Early Music Vancouver is completing their 2014-2015 Chan Center series with Antonio Vivaldi's The Four Seasons on May 1st. The concert is featuring Monica Huggett and the Portland Baroque Orchestra. What makes this concert so special is that the performers are using Baroque instruments, and in historic 18th century fashion, there will be no conductor, and Monica Huggett will lead the orchestra from playing the violin. To tell us about the concert, we are joined over the phone by Matthew White, the Artistic Director for Early Music Vancouver. Hi there, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. Uh, Looking forward to it. (laughs) Just to start off, what is the difference between a um, Baroque instrument, like the Baroque version of the violin, and a modern violin? Um, There are a number of differences between a Baroque violin and a modern violin, and and most of them have to do with um, how much tension there is on the instrument. Um, um, As time went on and halls got bigger and bigger, uh, the instruments changed uh, so that they could project more. Um, And though this made the, the instruments louder um it 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 changed some of the the sort of the characteristics of the sound obviously um so one of the things that changed was the 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 bridge um uh, was sort of increased in in uh in height so that there was more tension on the strings uh, as the instruments became uh moved moved along in the 19th century and they changed from using gut strings um to using metal strings um also, the, the tension on the instrument was different, so um, they, they actually, you know, tuned up A from uh, lower pitch, you know, where A was around 415 to uh, 440. Also, the bows were, were constructed differently, um, and uh, as time moved on, they, they, they constructed them in, the, in a way that, that made it possible to, to have a more even um, uh, pressure. Um, so that the instruments could could make more noise, basically. Those are the main differences, and it, it, it's connected to basically um, more the, as the middle class grew and there were more audiences, um, they needed bigger halls, and then um, the instruments, as they were set up before, um, no longer projected enough, so they had to they had to make them louder somehow. What what sort of effect would these changes have on on a on a concert performance uh, aside from the volume? Well, I mean, you know, and th- this is sort of at the core of what the difference is between, um, you know, Baroque playing um, done in a Baroque style and, and when, when a lot of modern players um, approach the same repertoire. Baroque music was, was um, inherently rhetorical, and rhetorical means, you know, it was connected to words and speaking. And as, as time moved on, things became more singing somehow, uh, and it was more about, you know, producing a big, big tone than it was about speaking through your instrument. Um, and the same thing happened in, in, in singing as well. You know, it, it became more about, about um, long lines and, and producing a consistent big sound that, that projected from the front of the hall all the way to the back of the hall uh, than it was about um, a, a highly varied rhetorical um, sort of expression. So, I mean, that, that's a perfect segue into um, this piece because The Four Seasons was actually published um, with poetry. So when you look at the score, the, the 1725 manuscript of the, of the score, um, the poetry is actually written in above the music. So the, the player is meant to evoke the text, the words, um, when, when he or she is playing. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's more about the rhetoric than it is about the, just about the harmony and, the, and the, the, the sheer volume of sound. 
And would would the poetry would not be performed though? It would just be sort of a, a an as you say an a, a evocation of the feeling of of the poems. Yeah, but I mean, I'm actually talking in more specific terms. So, for instance, you know, um, in in some of the the poetry, all of a sudden, you know, birds are singing, and and it's written right above where the the notes uh, are supposed to sound exactly like a bird singing. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's sort of early programmatic music in a way um, that 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 uh, you know intends to evoke or even mimic something that's sort of extra musical, like thunder or birds. Yeah, so it's it's sort of early early programmatic music. Now, one other difference between 18th century um, performances and, and more modern performances is the absence of a conductor. And and um, Monica Huggett will be leading from a from a plain position at this performance. How does that change the concert? Yeah, I've I've th- this question of um, you know whether whether you not or you need a conductor is an interesting one and and um, you know I think sometimes when the forces get large enough um, it just it requires a ringleader you know and um, this is not a, a major modern symphony orchestra this is this is a, a relatively small number of musicians and and when when the musician leading is also the one playing the the, the solos uh, it just it's a total it's a total integration. Um, no, nobody is up there um, phoning it in. You know, the, the conductor is right in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and I just think it, it gives it way more energy somehow. Um, it's like you're, you're not going through somebody; it's everybody's right, right together on stage and and and, and in it, literally in it. You know. For for those who are not familiar with her work, can you tell us a little bit about um, about what it means to to um, get to witness Monica Huggett performing? Monica Huggett is in her 60s now, and she was there right at the beginning of the early mu- music movement. And in fact, you know, th- we just realized in going through our records that um, not only does this performance uh, celebrate her 20th anniversary as artistic director of the Portland Baroque Orchestra, but it's, uh, it's her 30th performance on our series. Her first performance on the Early Music Vancouver series was in 1982. So this has been a, a really long-term relationship that EMV has had with Monica. Um, and she plays with as much energy now as she ever did. She was on our season last year. She played in a, in a concert of uh, 17th century German music, and she just ate, ate it up, you know. And, and there were lots of people on stage who were considerably younger, and she stole the show. And, and uh, she just, she's got a sort of irrepressible energy and, and, um, uh, and wildness to her, which really fits this music well, I think. And she, as you mentioned, she is busy too. She's also currently artistic director of the Juilliard School, um, performing historic program, um, as well as the artistic director of Irish Baroque Orchestra. Um, and, yeah, and, and she's and she's a guest soloist all over the world with the with the with the most uh, well-renowned. Uh, Baroque Orchestra. So she's, she's a very important international figure. And now that you mention it, it's interesting that the Juilliard um, has now got a historical performance institute. This is something that would have been unimaginable, um, you know, 15 years ago. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, th- this this other way of performing this music has, has uh, all of a sudden been accepted by even, even the, the most sort of uh, established musical institutions like the Juilliard, and uh, and in fact, it's the, the program has just been uh, incredibly successful, and they've always got far more applicants than they can handle. So, it's exciting. 
Now, this is also Early Music Vancouver's very first full performance of Four Seasons um, in in 45 years um, in Vancouver. Why has it taken so long for for the full performance or for the full um, performance of of Vivaldi's Four Seasons? I think the short answer is that um, for many, many years, um, uh, this organization was run by um, a man of impeccable artistic taste, a guy called Jose Verstappen. And I think um, this, because this is the piece that everybody already knew, I think that that um, Jose felt that it was it wasn't necessary to program. People already were getting a chance to hear this piece. Um, but um, you know, I I feel like after 45 years and um, and and to honor such a huge occasion as you know the 20th anniversary of Monica's um, association with the orchestra and of and of her long-term relationship with us, that it was finally time to 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 have Vancouver hear this the whole piece uh, played on period instruments. I suppose if it ain't baroque, don't fix it. Well, right, exactly. I mean, you know, people say, oh, why do we need to hear this piece? And 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 you know, part of the reason is because it's a—it's sort of like the B minor Mass or the St. John Passion. It's—it's a—it's a—it's an important piece, um, and it's a great piece. And I—I I think uh, ideally, you know, with with um, with a, a, a good balance of programming, you program some stuff that people know and love, and then you program it and balance that with stuff that that people know less well. And and for those who may have uh, seen this performed in in other places before, um, they will see period instruments um, perhaps uh, for the first time. Yeah, and and um, you know they, they won't look so different from from the audience, but if you get up closer, you'll see that those changes that I was talking about. The fact that the bow is shaped differently, the bridge is lower. They're using gut strings instead of metal strings, and they'll certainly hear the difference in color. Um, You'll not only hear a difference in color; you'll hear a difference in, in rhythmically how the music is approached. It's it's often um, a little bit freer somehow, um, and that the, the the musicians sort of tend to take a, a lot more uh, liberties with the with the uh, yeah with the, with the rhythm and the spacing and and uh, so to me it just it just ends up sounding more exciting and it also sounds um, like it's speaking the language it was written in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of an, an interesting way of looking at it. Is that uh, there's nothing wrong with per- performing Baroque music on modern instruments at all. Um, I just feel a lot of the time it speaks more eloquently when when it's played on on the instruments it was in, intended for. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to tell us about the performance. Uh, well, my pleasure. I, I hope to see uh, lots of your <laughs> listeners out there. I, I hope so as well. I, I think that we are actually uh, going to be giving away a pair of tickets over the air. So hopefully. Uh, hopefully someone listening can, can call in and win those. I hope so. All right, Matthew, thanks very much uh, for, for talking with us, and, and uh, best of luck with the rest of Early Music Vancouver season. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is a Baroque violin. It looks very similar to a modern violin, but it has a few subtle differences. The neck is shorter and it has a curve Uh, that's very different from the modern violin and that helps you to be able to hold it in your hand because the other significant thing is that there's no chin rest and there's no shoulder rest
You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Sure, reality has to be seen in a new way, but it's that is not so much the interesting part of it. The interesting side of it is where is truth in all this. Doxa, Vancouver's documentary film festival, runs this year April 30th to May 10th. The 14th annual Doxa features 89 films, 6 world premieres, and 23 Canadian premieres. Whether it's the infamous musical provocateurs, The Residents, or master pranksters, The Yes Men, Doxa is packed to the brim with radicals, iconoclasts, weirdos, mavericks, and James Franco. For more information, go online to www.doxafestival.com. AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during the studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS Food Bank provides emergency food relief seven days a week for all UBC students. To volunteer with the Food Bank or for inquiries about how to take advantage of the services provided, contact them at foodbank at ams.ubc.ca. For more information, find the AMS Food Bank on Facebook or feel free to visit anytime across from the Wellness Center and Sprouts. Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the UBC and Kitsilano area at Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books and Sound, The Bike Kitchen, The Cove, Dantry's Pub, Displace Hashery, Limelight Video, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Bar and Grill, Lotus Land Tattoo, Nuba Kitsilano, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. Tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. for a little bit of soul with your host, Jade Park. A little bit of soul plays primarily old recordings of jazz, swing, big band, blues, oldies, and Motown. Good up Wednesdays, three to four. I mean, I just wanted to do a nice experimental music radio show and maybe throw in some of nice talking that anonymous, like a private body. sense yeah, in the podcast. I mean, I think I can, I can talk and that's good enough. Fight or flight music Sometimes. for things that are not all right. I just radio essays and travesties, radio catechisms, half-baked philosophy and criticism, experimental beat music, avant-garde, post-punk. Industrial noise at nauseum. Cure it up. Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Oh, 
right, welcome back to the Arts Report. Hello. Did you, was my mic not on? <laughs> um, well, it is um, Wednesday, the 29th of April. That's and right. That's right. And you, uh, we just heard an interview with Matthew White from Early Music Vancouver. He's the artistic mm-hmm. director. And they are performing... Vivaldi. Vivaldi's Four Seasons on Baroque Instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want a pair of tickets to the Chan Center this Friday baroque, night... Because you're Baroque, get it? Because you're Baroque? Well, yeah, if, you, if you're Baroque, <laughs> then can't get tickets. Man, I am just punning everything today. Well, <sighs> you're just going for Baroque. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... Your, your jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, in all seriousness, win a pair of tickets. All you have to do is pick up the phone, dial 604-822-CITR. That's 604 Two, four, eight, seven, mm-hmm. um, and the tickets are yours, and you can have yourself a um, a date night on a date night Friday night. Oh! Oh my God! This has never happened before. I mean, I mean, it happens all the time. What are you talking about? All right, we're, we're gonna put them on the air. All right. CITR uh, Arts Report, you are on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello. Are you calling in to win a pair of tickets to Vivaldi? I hope so. I hope so too. Um, well, in um, in pure anxiety, we just put you live on the air because uh, <laughs> because we don't often get calls on the show. Uh, but stay tuned, and we'll give you a pair of tickets right away. Just stay thank on you the air. so much. Oh, this is so surprising! I didn't think I'd win. <laughs> well, please stay tuned, uh, and we will be right back with you. Thank you. All right. Um, now uh, in. As we give the tickets away, before we do that, uh, we are going to tell you about the BC Book Prizes. Um, the BC Book Prizes were established in 1985, and they seek to promote local BC literature. Uh, the winners were announced last week at a gala um, in Vancouver, and that list includes uh, Cecile, er, sorry, um, Cicely Nicholson's poetry collection From the Poplars and mm-hmm. Maggie DeVry's teen fiction uh, work Rabbit Ears. The book was inspired by the true story of her sister who went missing in Vancouver's downtown east side. And here to read an excerpt from her book, um, and this is a recording for World Read Aloud Day, here is Maggie DeVries with an excerpt from her book. Hi, my name is Maggie DeVries, and I'm the author of 10 books, most of them for children, some for quite young children. But I'm here today to read to you from my teen novel, Rabbit Ears, which is coming out this month from HarperCollins. And Rabbit Ears is a pretty challenging story for me because it delves into my sister's life and her death. My sister disappeared from the downtown east side in Vancouver in 1998, and her DNA was found on Robert Picton's property in August of 2002. And I wrote about her in a memoir for adults called Missing Sarah, but I had more things that I wanted to explore, things that I wanted to talk about with young people, um, because Sarah had some pretty tough experiences in her life, it turns out, even before she ended up downtown. So I ended up writing Rabbit Ears. Rabbit Ears is fiction. It is not a true story. It tells the story of two sisters. The younger one is kind of based on Sarah. Her name is Kaya. And when she runs away downtown, she actually meets 
the real Sarah. And in a second, I'm going to read that bit, the, one of those bits to you. But I wanted to also point to the things I have on my shelf behind me. Because my book is called Rabbit Ears, I have a rabbit that I bought when I was working on the book. It has long, silky ears. And there's another rabbit up here that I got when I was working on the book. And because it's a HarperCollins book, I have Hunger Journeys here, um, which is my other HarperCollins teen novel. And I also have with me, right here on my desk, this glass heart. And this is very precious to me. I bought this during the trial, during Robert Picton's trial. And it's a beautiful heart by a local artist filled with glass flowers. And for me, those glass flowers represent the missing women. So I have this here as I read to you today. Now I'm going to read you a short passage. And this passage comes partway through the story. Kaya has already run away downtown and she's been ended up back at home. And now she's gone back downtown. She met Sarah when she first went downtown. She's gone back and she's seeking Sarah out. I'm going to read you just a short encounter between Kaya and Sarah. Sarah, you say, jogging to catch up to her, hoping your voice sounds confident and grown up. She turns and looks at you. Her eyes seem a bit vacant somehow. It takes her a moment to focus. You look familiar, she says, but I don't. I'm Kaya, you say, remember? Oh yes, you're that kid, she says. She has come to a halt on the sidewalk. I told you to go home and stay there. She looks you over, passes a hand back through her hair. Come on, we're going for a walk. She walks strong and tall, even though she's actually pretty short. She seems oblivious to the fact that she's wearing thigh-high boots with spike heels and a short skirt that shows some skin way up at the top of those boots. Everyone looks as you pass. Even people slumped in doorways look. Often they call out hello. Sometimes the hello isn't nice, but mostly it is. You wrestle with a mix of embarrassment and pride as you follow her. She takes you over a viaduct eventually, a bridge over a railway that circles around and leads right into a great big park on the water. Sarah leads you to the swings in the playground. No street lights here, so the playground equipment, dimly lit, feels lonely, abandoned. You hesitate. How old does she think you are? But she plunks herself down on the middle swing. Here, she says, kicking a leg up toward you. Pull. These things are killing me. You stare and then obey, pulling one long, shiny boot from a leg, then the other, and dropping them on the grass beside her purse. She pumps back and forth, her legs strong, her body reaching for the sky. Come on, she shouts. It's amazing. And you do, shaking the small puddle off the strip of rubber. You push off, lean back, straighten your legs, and forget the left-behind damp seeping through your jeans as you aim your face at the dark wet above. The two of you look at each other when you are both as high as you can go, flying, and you laugh loud together. 
Your chest expands with joy. Then she starts to slow herself down. Soon the two of you are weaving your swings back and forth, scuffing your feet in the damp sand. Why are you here? She asks. And I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to read that short bit. Um, I wanted to comment, I wanted to tell you that that's a true story. Um, not Kaya, because Kaya is not a real person, but the swings. A woman who knew Sarah when she was very young, who told me that Sarah essentially saved her life by sending her home over and over again, told me about a night that she and Sarah spent on swings in a park. And there's cats. They come up a little bit later in the piece, in the part that I was reading you. So that's all that I wanted to tell you right now. I hope you enjoy Rabbit Ears, and I hope that you feel free to get in touch with me if you have any questions or anything at all that you want to say to me about my story. Thank you so much. That was Maggie DeVries uh, in a recording for World Read Aloud Day um, in 2014. Her book, Rabbit Ears, right? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. Her book, Rabbit Ears, just won Best Children's uh, Literature in the BC Book Prizes Gala. Um, congratulations mm -hmm. to to Scott, who mm -hmm. just called in and won himself a pair of two tickets to go see Vivaldi at the Chan Center. I hope you enjoy it. Um, Vivaldi on historic Baroque instruments mm -hmm. and also without a conductor that's another um, oh really no conductor that's right is it all kind of like everyone's just like looking at each other and then instinctual playing well sort of yeah the the lead Monica Huggett um, yeah. she is going to lead the orchestra from a playing position oh, um, so I she'll see. be playing and then everyone just kind of gets in there that's right. Yeah. So um, that's gonna be interesting. So enjoy yourself on Friday night um, mm -hmm. at, <laughs> at the Chan Center with Vivaldi. Now we've got to tell everyone about the Verses Festival of Words, which is mm -hmm. currently happening around Commercial Drive. Uh, the Verses Festival of Words takes place uh, each year at various venues in East Vancouver, all mm -hmm. all around Commercial Drive. Um, the festival celebrates the transformative power of words written, spoken, or sung and is mandated to engage diverse groups in cutting-edge live performances to present influential artists from both the oral and literary traditions mm -hmm. and to encourage the next generation of writers. This year's lineup includes the likes of Amber Dawn, Barbara Adler, Ivan Coyote, R.C. Wislowski, and more. And... Um, and we are going to play a, a song um, recorded by R.C. Wozlowski and former Versus um, alumni, Versus Festival alumni, Brendan McLeod. Um, this is a song that we will likely have to issue a language warning about. So Content um, warning, disclaimer. Earmuffs, I think. So if mm -hmm. you... if um, Strong language, yeah. coarse words are being used. Um, but it also might count technically as a, um, as a public service announcement. So, mm -hmm. um, so here, uh, two, two Versus Festival um, fellows. This is R.C. Wozlowski and Brendan McLeod with their song, titled, Don't Get Drunk and Sleep With Your Friends. <laughs> the 
the streets are filled with Appaloosa. Wine is pouring out of the eyes of frogs. Homeless people think they're ballerinas and no one has the answer. Well, we do. We are awesome face. This song will save the world. You're out at a party Feeling kind of flirty Maybe even horny Then your friend Who's always been a friend Starts to look like someone You really want to fuck Devil on your left Devil on your right Telling you to sleep With your friend tonight It's reckoning time Don't get drunk And sleep with your friends It will come To bad times in the end Don't get drunk And sleep with your friends Unless you're really, 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 really drunk You've known them for years Longer than these beers We don't need any tears Listen to your fears Don't go changing gears You'll be the joke of all In the end, don't get drunk 
and sleep with your friends unless you're really, 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 really drunk. I love you. What spot's supposed to come after we're done? There are so many nights we lie together. So many secrets. Welcome back to the Arts Report. You're tuned in to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, and we're broadcasting to you live from unceded Musqueam territories. Um, so we've got a few events to, to let you know about. Of course, the Versus Festival of Words is on right now mm-hmm. on near Commercial Drive. Um, Friday is 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 Vivaldi. You can go and say hi to Scott. Um, <laughs> They're going to say say hi to Vivaldi at first. <laughs> I don't think he'll be there. Not in the flesh. Not expected to make a performance. But yeah, he will be there in spirit. In spirit, yeah, yeah. Um, also, the International Burlesque Festival. Mm-hmm. Is, oh la la! Um, that starts tomorrow, <laughs> April thirtieth. And um, celebrating 10, it's the 10th annual burlesque mm-hmm. festival. There's going to be over 100 burlesque stars over three days at the Vogue Theatre. So enjoy. I think one of my favorite parts of burlesque is the names of the burlesque. <laughs> yeah. What's the best one you've heard? Well, uh, this festival is featuring Midnight Martini, Eva Handful, <laughs> Mr. Gorgeous, Scarlet Harlots. <laughs> and um and more so so enjoy uh enjoy the international burlesque burlesque festival there is also um tomorrow is rain city chronicles um and it's a local storytelling event it happens about every 6 to 8 weeks or so um and they feature true personal stories around, um from from local storytellers mm-hmm. and so anyone can submit a story and um they reach out to storytellers too so you get a mix of people who are used to the stage and people who are kind of there for the first time perhaps who just have a, a really interesting story and this event is called the life aquatic and it's actually held at the Vancouver Aquarium um, and so it'll be, if you've ever wanted to check out the aquarium at night, here's some cool stories. I think there's going to be some local bands playing too, um, neat. all with stories relating to the life aquatic. So that's happening tomorrow. Lots that of stuff happening. Awesome. A lot of stuff yeah. happening in Vancouver. A lot of stuff happening. And this is going to be our last show with Ashley for a little while. Yeah. Sad to say I'm going to be, uh, flying tomorrow actually. To the city of lost angels. Yeah. <laughs> it's an apt name. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh, my God. Well, uh, we will await your return anxiously. Um, and we are, that's it this week for the Arts Report. 
We're going to leave you with one song. Um, What's that song, Jake? That song, I think uh, many, many people might recognize it and they might sing along. Iconic. It is iconic. It is, of course, Sharon, Lois, and Brahms with Skinnamarinkydink. Um, Lois uh, Lillenstein mm-hmm. passed away this past year at the age of 78. And so that will be um, our, our small tribute to her and all the joy that she has brought Canadian children over the years Um, and afterwards stay tuned for Arts On Air Um, what goes on into planning an exhibition at a museum this week uh, UBC Arts On Air um, the director of the Museum of Anthropology Anthony Shelton sits down with Ira Nadell to explain the behind the scenes process of curating exhibits He also provides some insight into the museum's upcoming exhibit on Portuguese folk art that will be unveiled to the public. That's really cool. May 12th. I'm really really interested in that. I hope it's still there when I come back. (laughs) I hope so, too. Oh, my God. That sounds so cool. So stay tuned for Arts on Air. And this one is for Sharon, Lois, and Brown. CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. This is UBC Arts on Air. I'm your host, Ira Nadell. Each week we feature the ideas and stories of students and staff within the Faculty of Arts at the University of British Columbia. Today, Anthony Shelton, director of UBC's world-renowned Museum of Anthropology. And I'm delighted to welcome you here, Anthony. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I don't know really where to start. However, I'll start with a touch of history. Um, It's been about five years since the new Museum of Anthropology has opened, the renovation and so forth. Can you quickly tell us what's different today than perhaps 10 years ago? Hmm. We've... um We've moved. I think uh, we had an image of just being a museum of the Northwest Coast, but in fact our collections have always been worldwide. And in fact, um, half of our collections are from Asia and the Pacific. And one of our great kind of moves is to make use of all those collections. So we have the tagline MOA, a place of world arts and cultures, and that's reflected in the exhibitions we do. Um, we're still committed to collaborative research but we now look worldwide and we have facilities which are second to, nan- to none uh, for research and, um, uh, and, and student teaching. 
So this is, was it a doubling of space, perhaps, that much, or? We increased by um, just over 50% uh, in three years. That's quite remarkable, yeah. uh, quite remarkable indeed. Um, was it a project that you yourself anticipated, or was this something that kind of happened as a result of your, oh, I don't know, administering the museum, uh, seeing what needed improvement and mm. not? Or yeah, My predecessor, um, Ruth Phillips, um, had uh, applied to CFI um, for funding for new research infrastructure. And in fact, the total project was uh, 56 million. And she'd obtained um, 17 million of that. So when I came here,